Amen. Thank you, Landon. Thank you, team. It's incredible. Well, good morning, Oak Mountain. My name is Chad Walker, one of the pastors on staff here. It's great to be with you this morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn in or turn on to Genesis 18. That's where we're going to be at today. Genesis 18. Let's start off with asking you a question. How many of you have seen those videos of the long southern goodbyes? You know what I'm talking about? You probably live it out like me. It just takes a while to finally get out the door, right? That's good. That's the way we do it in the South. It's, 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 it's great to be together and feels very hospitable. But I'm sure you have family customs and traditions in your home as, as well as mine. Uh, for instance, when you go visit your relatives, there's a certain, certain things that they do, certain things that they just, it's just usual. It's just customary that they do. Like, for instance, maybe they're waiting on the porch to wave at you when you pull into the driveway or tap the hood when you're backing out and watch you till you're off down the street and they can't see you anymore. Let me take your bags in. Let's get you a drink. Get your feet up. Use the restroom. Come on in. Just certain things that we do as a family when we invite guests into the home, or maybe we're a guest in someone's home. And there's a general flow to this that is pretty much what hospitality is. And this morning, as we're talking about hospitality, we're, we're going to look at this in terms of surprising hospitality. Same way that we have a value of surprising generosity and surprising community. If you put two of those things together and the values of discipleship and the way that we practice and serve as the Christian life, we get this amazing thing called surprising hospitality. And the more that you begin to look at it in God's word, you start seeing it all over the place. As I've done myself, as I've been studying and preparing for this, and even some before that, God has some amazing things to say and has shown us about his hospitality. Now I'm going to kind of raise the hood a little bit of, of the way we look at discipleship. I'm sorry, the way we look at hospitality when it comes to our life groups and us as a church. I've got a, a little visual for you here. When, if you're a life group leader, you've probably seen this before. We do this in part of our life group leaders training of our small groups. And if you haven't seen it yet, let me walk you through this. It's helpful to understand the movement of the way that hospitality works. First of all, you have welcoming, how you bring someone into your home. And then you have restoring, meeting the needs of who's a guest in your home or with you at the time. And then there's the dwelling aspect of doing life together. There's lots of things that happen during this time. And then there's the sending out, sending out with provisions and blessings. Maybe it's take the cake. Now, I don't want the cake. Take the cake. You know, take the cake. Okay? Just take the cake. You know what I'm talking about. Just don't leave the cake in my house. So take it. But there's provisions and blessings as we move to this cycle of gospel hospitality and surprising hospitality with each other. And as believers, I'm convinced, I think, as God's people, that we have some amazing opportunities before us. We're tired of Zoom. We're tired of seeing each other from a distance. We long for hugs. We long to be close. I don't long to smell everybody's breath. But I long to be close to people, as I know you do as well. And we can spend time together and embrace each other, break bread together, and inviting each other back into our homes. And what an opportunity we have because that is who God is, and that is, that is his character and his movement towards us. And so this passage we're going to look at today with Abraham is just one of many pictures in the Bible of this movement of surprising hospitality that God is inviting us into, and we get the opportunity to invite others into as well. So let's stand together and let's read Genesis 18 together. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre, and he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. 
He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you've said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, quick. Three seas of fine flour. Knead it and make some cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to the young man who prepared it quickly. And then he took curds and milk and the calf he had prepared, and he set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. And skip ahead to verse 16. And then the men set out from there. They looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham went with them to set them on their way. May God bless the preaching and hearing of his inspired, infallible, inerrant, and authoritative word. He did not leave us without his word because he loves us. And we are invited, as we can see, into his great, generous, ever-flowing, surprising hospitality. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the feast that you've invited us to in a relationship with you. Father, we pray that you would make us into a people that mirror your image because we are your image bearers. So help us to see the ways in which doors are unlocked as we practice this beautiful thing called surprising hospitality. And we pray this in your name. Amen. You may be seated. So as we recapture the essence and the purpose of surprising hospitality, there's many doors that this will unlock There's many different things that'll happen. And I'm only going to get into three today, of course, because that's the way every good sermon should work. So the first one we're going to look at today is unlock the doors of maturity through hospitality. So there's maturity that takes place in how God shapes us and forms us as we practice surprising hospitality. This, This chapter 18 is bumped up right against chapter 19 that seems as though at first glance to have nothing to do with each other. We go from Abraham offering a meal and and hospitality towards these three visitors to the destruction of two cities. I mean, it doesn't seem to fit together, but there is a common thread through those chapters, and it's the three visitors. You see, in chapter 18, Abraham has, uh, has practiced surprising hospitality with these three men. And we get to chapter 19, and it starts out with Lot, who's done the same thing as Abraham, and he's spared And then the rest of Sodom and Gomorrah did not practice hospitality in the same way. They were not generous in the way that they greeted their guests. Instead of giving and serving, it was a taking and an exploiting. Now, don't get me wrong. Part of the indictment and the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah was its sexual sin. But most commentators would agree, as you study this, but the way that 18 and 19 go together, that there was also an indictment on them how they did not practice hospitality. They were stingy, greedy, and selfish. And it was all about them and what they could take. And it was bumped up against a comparison of how Abraham treated visitors and guests, even in an unexpected way. So I don't know if you're like me, but when I read this and I'm thinking about it, I am challenged myself. See, there are idols that God wants to expose in our hearts. That's part of the unlocking of the doors is seeing that there's idols which we hang on to. I don't know if you're like me, but it's definitely ease and comfort. I like that a lot. 
And having people in my home does not go again, does not help me out very much in that area. But it exposes me that I like comfort, that I like ease, that I like convenience. How about when the doorbell rings in your, at your home? What do you do? What's the knee-jerk reaction? Shh, get down, get down, shh, shh. Okay, so you're like me, all right. <clears throat> Instead, if you have little kids, maybe they run to the door, like, oh, don't answer the door. But when the doorbell rings, there's unexpected guests that come, that show up, and it shows us ways in which we think about how to be hospitable to people. It exposes idols in my heart, as it does probably for you. Maybe for you it's comfort. Maybe it's control. Maybe it's just the love of ease. Whatever that might be, God exposes and unlocks those doors to bring us into more maturity. One thing that's worth noting is that in our Western culture where we live, we breathe an air that is not like most of the rest of the air. And what I mean by that is we're not as hospitable people as we think we are. We're great at living to the professionals, and we do have people in our home, and some of you are very gifted in it. Don't get me wrong. But I was surprised two years ago when we took a team of young professionals to London. How many homes of Muslims and Hindus that we went into that opened everything up to us, and they didn't even know us. They gave us tea. They gave us chocolates. They gave us Turkish delights. They gave us so many different things, and it was so enjoyable. We didn't want to leave. And we had great conversations and great time together because they were so hospitable. And yet as believers, we've been invited to the feast with the Lamb. And we're still learning from our Muslim friends and Hindu friends what it looks like to practice hospitality. And that is not the way Jesus is. Jesus is generous in the way that he treats us with hospitality. So we need to be aware of our, of our culture that we live in. And then this other part of our maturity is just in repentance. You see, a lot of times when we open our homes and our time and our lives with people, when they invade our private space, our space actually gets larger. A lot of times when we go to host people and have them our guests, we actually end up feeling more like the guests than they do. When we go to bless people and hopefully serve them in some way, we walk away feeling more blessed than they do. It's just an interesting dynamic the way it works because that's what God's called us to do. That's the way he has made us as his people is to give. We cannot outgive God. It reminds me of, a, of two things. One is Zacchaeus. Many of you know the story of Zacchaeus. Here's a man that his only friend really was money and he wanted to keep the money. But when Jesus was coming to town, he wanted to spend time with Jesus. And Jesus went to his home and had a dinner and a meal with him. And in the process of dwelling together, Jesus had, had invited and welcomed, taken care of needs. And you can see the movement of gospel hospitality in the story that in the dwelling together, Zacchaeus' heart was changed. He was willing to give up this friendship with money because he knew what he had in a friendship with Jesus. Where Jesus once was a stranger has now become his friend. And that is the movement of surprising hospitality. I'm also reminded of a story uh, of a while back of a guy who was a chaplain uh, at Grady Memorial Hospital in Atlanta. And it was a Friday night. The OR and the trauma unit is super busy, and he wanted some respite, so he was going to go to his, his office and get some time away for a few minutes. And when he walked in, there was an elderly black man that was sitting in his chair, and then he had his feet propped up in the only other chair in the room. And he was very disappointed that he had invaded his space. This is his office. And he was indignant about the way this man had just come in his room. But as he talked with the man, he realized that he was there. This man was there to perform a wedding in the wedding chapel, but the bride and groom were late. So what does he do? He just starts talking with them. 
Come to find out, as he introduced himself, his name is Martin King, the son of Martin Luther King Jr. And this is the words of the chaplain after he found out who it was. He said, there was a silence for a moment while part of me turned inside out. I had thought this man was invading my territory, and now I felt more like a guest than a host. In an instant, I had to confront my own racial stereotypes and once again, repent of them. Now, whether it's racial stereotypes or not, it's not the point. The point is that when people invade our territory and our space, what is our knee-jerk reaction? What idols does it expose that might actually cause us to repent and move into a deeper maturity with the Lord because we are image bearers of him? So let me ask you these questions. What do you... How do you see strangers? How do you see company? Do you see it as inconveniences? Or do you see it as providence of God? And how has the Lord used these providential encounters to shape and transform and mold you? So as you can see, as we practice hospitality, it not only unlocks the doors of maturity, but the second point here is that it unlocks the doors of intimacy through hospitality. Unlock the doors of intimacy through hospitality. See, I left out a conversation in Genesis 18, verses 9 through 15 here, because I don't want us to get too much in the weeds of what the conversation was about. But the point is, is once they were welcomed and they were restored, there's a significant conversation that happens here. I mean, it's, it's about, you know, them coming back and Sarah's going to be pregnant. It's a, it's a pretty big deal. You know, and then they argue about who's laughing. I wasn't laughing. Yeah, you were laughing. No, you weren't laughing. It's, it's kind of awkward. It's kind of an office kind of moment there. But the point is, is that that conversation was life happening. In the intimacy of practicing surprising hospitality, that is where life is lived. There will be tears shed as we dwell together. There will be laughter, more of it. There will be dreams that are shared. There will be so much more life that we get to do together. And it's very good. You know, Joseph, I'm thinking of Joseph where he was with his brothers. They were so jealous of him, they sold him off to slavery. Joseph eventually became second in command of Pharaoh. And what do we see happen? The famine comes, and so the brothers come asking for help. And what does Jesus do? I mean, sorry, what does Joseph do? He invites them into, the, into his home, and he offers a feast with them. It's been a famine. And now they're feasting with this long-lost brother. And the feast is so good that Joseph weeps. He has to leave and go weep because it's such a big deal. And that is the intimacy of what gospel hospitality does. That is where life is lived. It's very good. It's transforming and it is intimate. As believers, that is what we get to experience. Acts 2, the early church, Acts 2.46, it says, And day by day, Attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. They went to the temple, the church together, and they were in each other's homes. That is hospitality. Always opening your home, doing life together. And my prayer and my hope is through COVID, as it lessens up and it weakens and things open up more and more, that this is true of us, Acts 2, that we are in each other's homes doing life together. We need this for our own souls, for intimacy. Romans fifteen seven says, Welcome one another as I've welcomed you. This is the way Jesus treats us. One interesting thing to note is that one of the qualifications of a leader of the, of the church, as an elder, as we call it, 
is being hospitable. I find that interesting that of the top 10 of what God would require of a leader of his church would be practicing hospitality. It's an amazing thing. I just don't know before this if I would have put it in the top 10, but to God, it's a top 10 characteristic and quality of a leader of his church. And that's an amazing thing. And it also shows intimacy and brings about intimacy just through evangelism. Second Corinthians 5, we implore people on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. To be reconciled. That means to have an intimate relationship with God. Matter of fact, the word hospitality comes from two words that seemingly don't go together. On the one hand, you have the word philo, which is brotherly love. And the other word xenia, which is stranger. Smack those two words together and it's the word hospitality in the Bible. It's a brotherly love for a stranger. What a movement of the gospel that this is. That you who are a stranger, and I don't even know you. I don't even know if I can trust you. I don't know much about you because you're a stranger. I'm going to move towards you, and I'm going to love you before you've ever done anything with a brotherly, familial love. That is the gospel. It's amazing to think about how God treats us that way, and that produces intimacy. And the key to this whole passage of intimacy is just the intimacy that we have with the Lord. The Lord is good to us as we think about the movement of from welcoming to restoring to dwelling. There will be no sending by the Lord other than mission. He not only welcomes us, but he restores us. We can see that in Psalm 23, the good shepherd. He leads us beside still waters. He leads us into green pastures. He will restore us. But not only that. He asks us, he invites us to dwell, to live life with him for eternity. He's giving you the key to the house. This picture of us assembling together to worship him is a little bit of a taste of what it's like to have the key to the house, to the throne, to the tabernacle of God himself. You get the key. You've unlocked the door. Through Christ on the cross, the door is unlocked and you have intimacy with him. And he's asking you to come stay with him forever. That is the goodness of God. In Matthew 8, verse 11, Jesus' own words, he said, Many will come from the east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. See, this obscure passage in Genesis 18, at first glance, may not seem like a lot. But Jesus refers to it again by saying, Heaven is going to be a lot like that. You will be served at the drop of a hat by your Redeemer. You'll be served and he will be humble. He will honor you with good gifts. He will spread out a table and a feast before you, not because you deserve it, but because he loves you. And that is how good God is to us. You know, before I was a believer, I thought I had good friendships. I thought I knew people pretty well and they knew me pretty well. But after becoming a believer, I realized that this intimacy that we're talking about, I had not tasted it yet. It took being in people's homes and in people's lives that I began to realize that I didn't really know what intimacy looked like. But once I was a believer and God had changed my heart, I began to see that there's so much more depth of relationship that I can have with people and definitely with, definitely with the Lord. And a lot of that was happening through this practice of surprising hospitality. So how are you sharing life? How are you practicing hospitality? What does it look like to share your life with others? Well, first of all, I hope that you're in a life group. 
Some of you are new and we're still figuring it out here and it takes time. But if you're not in a life group, I want to help you find a life group. If you're in it, this is my hope and desire for you that you are experiencing some of this intimacy and surprising hospitality. I hope that you're able to share life together and dwell, shed tears, cry, laugh, share dreams, spend time together. That is our hope. And so not only does hospitality unlock the doors of intimacy, but there's at least one more thing here we can see is that practicing hospitality unlocks the doors of opportunity. Unlock the doors of opportunity through hospitality. There's so much opportunity here. There's so much in which God wants to use gospel hospitality in us and through us. As we practice it, there will be many opportunities we will be able to see. Matter of fact, for me, just recently, someone was broken down in our parking lot. And if it, honestly, if it hadn't been for reading this, I probably would have gone on about my way. But God used his word to convict me and show me, I need, I need to stop and check on this guy. And we had a great conversation. A few days later, our family's eating hibachi, and we're across the table from a random family we've never met before, and I could have kind of stayed in my comfort zone. We all could have just been a very wild family with four boys just making a big mess, you know, doing our thing. But we started talking, and we had a great conversation. We had a great time with them over that meal, someone we didn't know before. And it... Again, those are silly examples, but there are so many opportunities in front of us. What God's calling us to in these opportunities is, first of all, to be generous. It's one of our values in discipleship is surprising generosity. To be generous in the way that we give our time. Generous in the way that we share our life, our money, our things. It is lavish because God is lavish with us. 1 John says that God has lavished his love upon us that we might be called children of God and that is what we are. God is lavish to you. He is lavish to me in his love and in his generosity and so we should be with other people. There's also opportunities just to serve. I know all of you have an Enneagram number. I don't know what it is, but I think there are some out there. You have a specific temperament. You have spiritual gifts. You have unique experiences and passions that honestly I need. I need you to sharpen and encourage me with what God's given you. But so does the world. So does the church itself. We need you to practice these gifts and your unique wiring in hospitality. I'm going to give you two quick layups. What are two opportunities to serve? First one's coming up in two weeks. Easter's coming in two weeks, and it is a great opportunity. We have a Good Friday service we talked about. We have extravaganza on Saturday. We have four services on Sunday. There's plenty going on on Easter weekend. But those are just layups to think about how we can practice hospitality with our friends and our neighbors. Part of that cultural mindset is that our walls are really tall. And can we, at least for Easter, because we were kind of gypped on Easter last year of getting together, right? So now we can finally come back together. And can we bring the walls down? And can we invite people over our fences? Can we spend time with them and include them in this gospel surprising hospitality that we're experiencing and are able to display it to them. That's one layup. The other layup is going to come with vacation Bible school this summer. Last summer, because of the pandemic, we ended up having to go outside the walls and went into backyards and neighborhoods and the Lord used it in huge ways. And we're going to do it again. It might be the last time, but we have a unique opportunity in front of us again to do a backyard VBS. So as we do that, What an opportunity to invite our friends and our neighbors, co-workers, family to be a part of this. Share God's word together, serve them, be hospitable, 
And then we cap off the week on a Thursday night with food trucks here and just celebrate all together, bringing it all together outside. So those are, those are two quick things that can be layups in ways to serve in hospitality. But honestly, at the end of it, the opportunity is, the main one, is that you and I get to taste God's grace over and over again. The meal and the banquet is only but a nourishment to our souls to see that we are hungry and thirsty for him and only him who's going to satisfy and quench our thirst. And we long for that. And as we come together, be it the Lord's Supper and communion, be it reading God's word, and one day, Lord willing, when he comes here and we meet him face to face, that we'll be at the banquet together. We'll see Abraham, we'll be with Christ, and we'll get to share a meal together. So one last thing, in Psalm 23, we know it is the Psalm of the Good Shepherd. I'm sorry, the Lord is my shepherd. But the last two verses are also the Lord is a good host. He is the Lord of hosts. Listen to these words. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell to live with God in the house of the Lord forever. This is amazing to think about what God invites us into, that how he matures us, how he grows us in intimacy with him and other people, and gives us opportunities to practice that together. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for being a hospitable God that we are the sojourners, the visitors, the guests that are in need, who are thirsty and hungry and looking for protection and shelter, and you give it to us constantly. Father, thank you for being good to us. We pray that you would continue to make us into the people that are recognized and known, not in a reputation way, but in a showing off because we were image bearers of your hospitality and your generosity and your goodness towards us, and we might extend that to a broken world. We pray this in Christ's name.